mindfulness mode. It was no less impactful than having the out-of-body experience in surgery at 12 in 1968. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here in Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Mindful Tribe, I am very excited about today's interview. It's just going to be so profound. I absolutely know it. I'm here with one of only 12 master lamas in the world. He's lived and trained at the original Tai Chi Gung Lamazari in Tibet. Master Rizaji has been trained in Latsu's regenerative health system for more than 50 years. He's been teaching for over 40 years. And this is a, a health system for longevity that's been passed down from teacher to student in an unbroken lineage for more than 3,000 years. So I'm here today with Master Lama Rizaji. Master Rizaji, are you in mindfulness mode today? <laughs> I think I need to be present. What do you think, Bruce? <laughs> I think you are present. I think you're in mindfulness mode, and I'm very excited to talk to you. And you have, uh, you're founder of the Circle of Life, mm-hmm. the simple, practical guide to health and abundance in everyday life. Can you, well, first I want to ask you, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, you know, doing everything with specific intention and having your spirit, mind, and body equally present and focused on whatever it is. Uh, if I'm, if I have my three sons over here, it means I, I need to be present with them. It means turn off the electronics and respect them enough to be able to be with them fully. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. It's, um, it's been the task over years. I was, when I was young, Bruce, I was anything but mindfulness. You know, I was uh, a very ill child. And as I got healthier, I was extremely hyperactive, uh, extremely dyslexia. Uh, Sometimes I wonder how in the world I even got through school because my brain would reverse not only numbers, but letters. And uh, so, you know, everything was either right side up to everybody else and upside down to the Lama. But fortunately for me, that I met this incredible being uh, in New York in 1975 in Washington Square. And when I met this individual, he had me begin to do these funny little swaying exercises that I never broke a sweat with. And being a professional dancer at the time, breaking a sweat, I was used to. And I couldn't believe that these rhythmic motions would begin to balance both hemispheres of my brain. And little by little, as that began to happen, I would find myself standing up, putting a book, you'll appreciate this on the counter, and doing my figure eights, Bruce. And I said, oh my God, I'm actually understanding what I'm reading. And, and which was very difficult in high school, but uh, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. Wow, what a fascinating story. Well, I read in your book that you had had this this kidney problem when you were a child, and that sounds like you almost died, didn't you? Well, actually, twice on the operating table, the body uh, stopped its functions. And what I don't go into detail in the book, and 
I'd be happy to with a little bit with your audience. I know you've got a, a real open-minded audience. And I had an altered state experience during the surgery. And um, I, in that state, um, I was aware that my body was there, but I wasn't in my body and I was still conscious. As a matter of fact, the way it all started was they were, they had the gas mask on. This is 1968, right? They're still using ether gas. And I remember they're, I'm they're laying, you know, the body down and my, my awareness is still as keen as ever. And I'm thinking, I'm a child, 12 years old. And I'm thinking, Hey, wait a minute. The anesthesia didn't work. That was the first thing that came to my mind said, please don't start cutting on me because I can still feel. And so that was the first time I'd had some out of body experience and didn't know what they were, but this was the first time that I was fully conscious of out of the body. And I noticed that my spirit or unit of awareness just seemed to ascend to the lamps above. And the next thing I was out and I was meeting different people. Now I didn't realize this initially till later years when I met the Lama master in the physical form that actually I'd actually seen him outside the body in surgery in 1968. Now, during this time, a thing that, a thing that happened to me was it was obvious that they were fighting to save my body. And I had this communication with him and he was saying, you know, you got to go back in that body. You, you, you came here to do something. And I said, no. And I remember we literally had this argument and this argument went like, Hey, for two years in this body, you know, it hurt to go to the restroom. It hurt to do anything. You're going to try to tell me. It's amazing how confident you get. And I learned really fast that age outside the body is not the same as age inside the body. And, and I talked to many people who had that experience years ago, and they'd say, well, Rasaji, five or 10 minutes in an altered state's like four years of college. And I know I was out, I wouldn't say the whole surgery, but definitely for a good portion of the surgery. And he said, so he took my hand, my spiritual hand, and placed it on the heart of the body. And he put his hand on my shoulder and I could feel energy traveling through me, electromagnetic current going through my spirit it was remind me of jumping a battery on a car. And the next thing I know, the body started to move on the operating table, just like a lizard's tail being cut off, just shaking. And they, I could hear them saying, well, he's coming back. He's coming. And what he imparted on me, Bruce, was unless you go all the way back in there, you're not going to fully come back. So I knew right then that there was an energy connection between this unit of awareness that I was, this spirit field of being, and this physical body. Now, it was many years before I understood how that happened, but right then at 12 years old, I remember coming back and my mom said, you are not the same person that went under surgery a few days ago. I remember about five or six days of rehab, and she said, I don't know who you are, but you're not the same person. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. It was, it was profound. And in that process, 
I developed what's called uh, clairaudient healing, supersonic heal. In other words, I could hear things down, down the road. I could hear things in another room. So about 14 days after surgery, the physician, the uh, pediatric surgeon was talking with my mom. He said, well, I've got some good news and I got some bad news. And she said, okay. She said, the good news is all the plumbing in his urinary tract, we got it. We got it stopped. The problem is, is that he lost close to one half of one kidney and one third of another kidneys because of uric acid poisoning was dissolved in the kidneys. He said, he'll probably be on medication the rest of his life. And I'm going to tell you, he's going to be lucky if he sees his 18th birthday, which was the year I graduated high school in 1974. And so the doctor comes in later, me not thinking anything about how far out of the, my room they were, come to find out they were two or three rooms down the hallway. And he was shocked. And I looked at him. I said, I'll never be back ever in here ever again. And my mom was like, where did that authority come from? Right. This is my 12 year old son who up until that time, I was this little meek, little, you know, 78, 80 pound, little, little nothing, you know, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, five foot and frail and everything. And that day there was an inner authority that I had that I had never had before. Fascinating. Wow. Absolutely fascinating. Well, in the circle of life, I'm fascinated with that, with that book. You describe how to apply the three core functions of the energy to the eight aspects of life that has a major impact on health. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, it was when I um, when I got back from the Lamasery in Tibet in the early 80s, um, I was a, an adept trained then and I was on my pathway to mastership. And so every adept kind of has a thesis that they're supposed to do. And the thesis that the mentor, uh, Master Bo Yang, who was the head of our Lamasery, just said, I want you to do this. I want you to connect with 12 different cultures that have been around on the planet for many years and tell me what the common denominators for spirituality, health, and longevity are. See if you can find those common denominators. So I, I, I did research on the Hunzas. I did research on a lot of groups around the planet, and I found the commonality of what they did. Out of that commonality, that thesis and that research came into being uh, the circle of life. Now understanding that I had this dyslexia background, still, even though I was learning to be able to read because of the Tai Chi Gung exercises, which balanced both hemispheres of the brain, made it easy. It's always still been a challenge for me to write. So I decided that I was going to do a conference series where I'm going to, I spoke the book into creation, Bruce, And then uh, my protege, who is very good at writing, took my words and actually put them into print. But as a lot of people might understand, a written book uh, book into creation has a different vibration 
than a spoken book into. A lot of times when people read the book, it the book itself makes them feel very present. And, and a lot of the ahas come out of that situation. So it's basically what it, what, what it told us is that this intrinsic energy that we call chi, that in Japan they call ki, in India, when I studied in India, they referred to it as prana, that in the process is, is that we have a mental connection to energy. And that mind, based on its attitude and its focus, can trickle the vital energy either like is a dripping faucet or like a, a fireman's fire hydrant. It depends on a lot of times our mind, especially the unconscious mind, which so much vibrates in the fourth dimension that holds a lot of our emotional self and a lot of our unconscious actions, as you know, from birth on, we record all that stuff. So what I learned is one of the basic reasons we sleep at night is not just because we're physically tired, but because we're emotionally tired. And like you're saying, we're not willing to be mindfully present. So a part of us is scattered over here, part of us is scattered over here. So when we go to sleep at night, there's a cleansing that begins to happen in our unconscious mind and a kind of sweeping, if you will, of, of that being almost like cleaning an air conditioned filter. So when we wake up in the morning, it's like all of our inner bodies are put back together and we have what's called rest. What I found is that the more you mature your conscious mind and you can actually participate consciously fully two things majorly begin to happen is that sleep time frame is reduced, but the level of rest is intensified. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed when I was in Tibet along the idea of the mind, I would, I would watch the master Lama and I would go up to the other masters and Lama. And I say, you know, master Bo Young seems like he never sleeps. And he says, well, uh, that's true. Lama Rasaji, you have to understand he's been training for 70 something years. And he, I found out he, at that stage, he was sleeping about every 10th to 12th day, about four to six hours. But what he would do, he would have this meditative moment where he would go into meditation for about an hour and a half. And he said for him, that was his sleep, but he was fully conscious. He, he said, if you can process life and deal with life consciously, there's no need to process through life unconsciously. And so that was the thing. So then later we learned to breathe energy. Well, you know, our system is derived from three basic yoga disciplines that have been around Bruce for thousands of years. So you have your Hatha yoga, which means sun and moon in Sanskrit, mm -hmm. which denotes the yin and yang present. And it's for stretching conditioning. But a lot of people don't know that it's also to calm the nervous system. So as we learn to meditate, we can go into deeper and deeper levels of meditation. How deep my teacher used to say, you're not even an intermediate stage of meditating, Rasaji, until you can hear the blood flow from your heart. 
So that's, mm. that's to him, that's intermediate meditation, right? So I realized that the other two yogas were the Kundalini, which was the yoga of the chakras and the energy of those chakras. Uh, and it, which is a Sanskrit word that means will that turns. We refer to it as the psychic endocrine gland system because they correspond to the physical endocrine gland. And then the last thing was pranayama itself. And again, prana meaning to them what she does to us. Yama was the definition of the Lord of death in Sanskrit. So prana over yama means life over death. A lot of people don't know, know that's what that really means. So it says, you know, in scripture of the world talks about God breathing into man the fullness of life. Well, a lot of times people interpret that the same way they interpreted the concept of baptism. That should be a one-time event. No, the ancient city yoga masters that derived these systems of the three yoga said it needs to be daily, continually that I'm baptized and daily, continually that every so many hours I need to focus and actually not just breathe oxygen, but breathe energy. So you start to breathe energy. Guess what happens? Well, you become really conscious because there's a direct connection between breath and consciousness. In other words, if we examine again, sleep, what is really happening to people physically when they go to sleep? Well, they're getting more and more dehydrated during the night. Okay, as you get dehydrated, it's easier to move in an unconscious state. But also, the, the rhythm of oxygen and carbon dioxide gets reversed. And carbon dioxide being a gas, it's like you're giving yourself anesthesia at night as you sleep. You're taking in less and less oxygen and more and more carbon. So it begets you to stay longer and longer asleep. And one of the reasons, one of the ways to test this logic is I have my students get up in the morning after they do their business in the bathroom, come back, drink about six to 12 ounces of water, breathe a little bit consciously, and you'll wake up as if you just had a second cup of coffee. You know, your conscious mind embraces that immediately, right? Of course, we know part of the chemical formula for water is oxygen also, right? So the nerves, they get stimulated the moment that oxygen hits them. You know, oxygen to your nervous system is like it's chocolate, right? And so what happens is, is that they all wake up together, not layers like we're used to waking up they wake up and the mind gets alerted and so then the fourth chapter is movement is important you know we're in the age of energy communication and movement and what the lamasiri calls the empowerment of the human being and so in that process, if I'm not moving, I'm not honoring one of the pillars of the age we're living in. But there are multiple ways to move. And I, I always relate to people. I said, probably one of the reasons they had me in line to be a llama one day is they put me in all the movement disciplines, Bruce, you could probably put a child in. I mean, I have four black belts. 
I'm a master in one of those martial arts. On top of that, I danced off Broadway for four or five years. And then I did dinner theater performing all up and down the East Coast for the better part of more than two decades as I was coming into my own learning to teach Tai Chi. In other words, this was going to be my second life thing. And with that movement, when you figure yoga training for 50 years, martial art training for 50 years, dance training for maybe 25 years. I mean, the movement, if anybody has been exposed to movement and what it does, not only to the body, but the emotional self and the mental self as well. What I realized is that for most part is most of people's mind can balance and calm the emotional self about 50%. But if you use movement along with your mind, to do something, then the emotional self just starts to roll over. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm a dog rolling over, please rub my belly, you know? And it took me a while to put all of that together, that movement and moving in a way that's conducive. Cause see, I, I did some dance training example, when I would do ballet, it was so hard and so rigid and I watched how people breathed when they did ballet. They were holding their breath. And it was like this tense thing, which reminded me of hard styles of martial arts. Mm -hmm. They were very, very similar. I would watch people doing yoga sometimes. And they would get into a posture and a sauna. Maybe they would breathe pretty good. But sometimes I would watch people hold their breath, even doing yoga. And I thought to myself, I said, well, the breathing is key breathing enough oxygen and enough energy is the key to alter any movement. And when you do that, now you're moving in a way that's conducive to energy. So the whole far, first part of the circle of life, including the chapters on nutrition is how do I accelerate my relation to the energy? How do I think in a way, breathe in a way, move in a way, absorb nutrition in a way to actually enhance this energy. This is what Lao Tzu figured out when he's in China over 3,000 years ago, and he took these three yoga disciplines, and he noticed that two significant things changed his yoga forever. Number one was being in an asana, a posture, does one thing to the energy, but the transference of weight in and out the asana did something totally different to the energy. So that was one thing he read. The other thing he realized, if I moved in the way and breathed in the way of like the flow of the Yancey River, he spent 10 years by the riverbank manipulating that flow. He said, oh, well, now I'm tapping a different level of chi in nature. What about when he was in the mountains for 10 years? He realized that was a totally different chi than the chi in the river. And then when he's in the forest, imagine, Bruce, 3,300, 3,500 years ago, how beautiful the forest in mainland China must have been. 
Right. No industry. You could take a cup and drink right out of the river. It was so pure, right? Wow. And here he is with trees that are hundreds of years old. And when he started to do his yoga, he realized it was totally different than water yoga or mountain yoga. And so those were the things he learned. Well, he spent about 50 years taking his yoga. What people don't know that you'll find really exciting, because I know you have an affinity for Lao Tzu. Most people think Lao Tzu was born in China. Mm -mm. He was not born in China. Right. He was born in India. He was born in India as Bhogadnathar, master of three yogas. Then he takes his yoga to China for 50 years into nature. And then one day, a guy comes up. He's in meditation, puts his hand on his shoulder. Now, by now, Bhogadnathar has got hair down to here, probably stinks to high heaven. And this general in the emperor's middle kingdom comes up to him and says, he says, Swamiji, he says, listen, I know you're a holy man. He says, we have an emperor that's extremely very sick. And the emperor was very young. And it was like, like we knew, you know, stories of China where they might have been teenagers and all of a sudden they took the throne. This happened to be Emperor Chen at the time was in his, I think his early 20s, mid 20s. But he had all the symptoms of a neuromuscular disease, either something like palsy or Parkinson's or MS, but something along that line. The herbal doctors that were around him in the court said, you know, maybe he had two or three years to live. So they took Bogunathar, they bathed him big time, they trimmed him up, they put him in beautiful Chinese garments in the ponytail of the time, it was Emperor Chen that actually gave him the name Lao Tzu. That's how he got the name. And so little by little, with what he had learned from Mother Nature and her angels, he began to teach Chen. Chen, Emperor Chen was his first unofficial student of now what he had learned by taking his yoga to nature and the benefits. So like it is in any court, there's several hundred people that have privileges in any court that a lot of people don't have. So little by little, people would watch the practice of what they were doing. And out of that practice years later became the Chinese interpretation of Tai Chi. But it wasn't the fullness of the teachings because that hadn't happened yet. So he ends up living almost 25 years longer because of Boganathar than the herbal doctor said. And as they were actually kneeling the day that Chen passed away was the first experience of heartbreak that Master Boganathar ever had, because now this was like a child to him. Here is this monastic monk this city yoga master, this sad hue, which means wandering monk, for the first time is having a maternal loss that he felt. I mean, literally, it just broke his heart, right? So he left, and that makes him say he's getting guidance that he needs to go meditate in the Himalayas. He had been hearing about the Himalayas for years. And on the way out, we know what happens. He writes the I Ching. 
And everybody's been trying to figure out what they don't know is most of history in China. That's kind of where it stops with him. But that's really only the new beginning. He goes up into Nepal. And from Nepal, he goes about 50 miles into southern Tibet. And it is said that he was so advanced that he meditated for decades. And in, in meditation, angels, they claim, from the Himalayas came to him and said, okay, this is what you need to do. And out of that, he said, I need to teach 12 people what I know. And that was the beginning of the Lamasary. That's how it happened. That is fascinating. Just fascinating. Now, I want to switch direction a little bit, and I want to ask you about David Paul, a student of yours. He's a musician, and his music is is uh, amazing. I know that his music is available at musicbydavidpaul.com. Can you tell us about David Paul and your connection to him? It's a beautiful story. So... I'm teaching probably about four or five years in North Florida. And this, you know, law as my dad would say, this long drink of water comes walking in my room one day. It's a summertime and he's on break from the symphony. And he was actually working at a local bookstore for the summer, making a few extra dollars. And he's in his mid twenties at the time. And, Mr. Academia and the whole nine yards. And uh, he's a son of a fourth generation Lutheran minister. They wanted him to be number five. And he said, no, music's my route. Uh, music's going to be my, my pulpit. So we came in with a wave of people who came in about that time. And uh, this was probably 86, 87, we're talking about. He's been with me that long. And um, he walked in, and he was about this bow-legged. Mm-hmm. He had a curvature of the spine that was so much from playing the violin that it looked like almost the hunchback for Notre Dame. I mean, it, it literally looked like quasi So he came in, and the first thing that we did the, the therapeutic and structural relief from practicing Tai Chi Gong was worded to me. It's like having a gentle chiropractor follow you around all the time, just doing a little bit each day, almost like taking Michelangelo's David and he's a little bit wet and you're going to just do a little bit more each day. About 18 months with me, his bow-leggedness had changed several degrees and the scoliosis, the shoulders were 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 level. It was it was amazing. It just yes. completely amazing. But more profound than that, we found out that even though he had a master's degree from Rice University, and he was second chair to a reputable symphony, he still primarily got his music through sight reading. He had really never created at that time any music himself, but 18 months also began to balance the right and left hemisphere of his brain. So all of a sudden, he hadn't played the piano, I think, in almost a decade, even though he started with the piano at five. I think he started the violin at nine or 10. It had been eight to 10 years since he had even played the piano. And all of a sudden, he was driven 
to play the piano again, but now he's playing, he's creating music for the first time. Well, after he's creating music on the piano, he starts to transfer this creative music to his violin. Today, he plays like Paganini. I mean, he is, he can pull the chi, root the chi up from the earth through his body and put it on his bowl and he'll make somebody soul dance. Now, what happened? This kept evolving. And about 10 years into this, he, he was being asked to do a lot of weddings and on the side. So he would say, look, I'll play for the husband and wife to be whatever they want. You know, traditionally, I ask you to let me do one thing. And they said, what? I want to get in between your energy and I want to produce a piece just that says about the love and affection that the two of you have for each other. And to me, that was phenomenal. And that was a pivot point with David Paul or Master David's music. And he got where he could get in somebody's energy. And then he took that and he did the Boganather thing. Now he lives up outside of Denver in the mountains and three or four days a week, he'll go into the mountains and nature will speak to him and give him an idea today for a piece of music. It's really beautiful. That is beautiful. That's incredible. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the network of meridians and how our physical body is connected to the outside world. I think this is fascinating. Can you talk about that? Oh, absolutely. You know, in scriptures of the world, they have this concept. They refer to it as second birth. In the Lama series, we refer to Master Jesus as Master Rabbi Jesus because he was definitely a master. And heck, they were calling this person rabbi when he was a teenager. So he's a teacher's teacher. And so we referred to him as Master Rabbi Jesus. And he was coined with phrasing that there were two births that we were to deal with. Now, India has been teaching this two births for eons of times. I mean, thousands of years. So, so we're born of the water of our mother. Everybody knows this. It's a nine-month process. Everybody knows about this. But then we have this puberty thing happen. And what's supposed to happen, Bruce, is depending on what age we're living in, right? The yuga, what they refer to as age, is that when puberty happens, what in India they refer to as kundalini is supposed to also happen. It means there's supposed to be a second birth and Christ referred to that as a birth of fire. And let me tell you, it definitely is a birth of fire. So the physical is of the water with the mother and then with the father, it's fire. And what happens is, is when the endocrine glands we know heat up, they're the physical chakras, just like the chakras are the psychic endocrine gland system. And that's where a figure eight begins to happen. So here we have, we have this energy body, depending on how healthy you are, from your sternum out, it should be seven to 12 feet, every direction. So I want you to think about, we're, we're in science class, it's probably fifth or sixth grade, and, and, and we're seeing for the first time what an atom, A-T-O-M, looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Well, this atom and how it's designed 
is one of the best examples of the energy body that's around our body. On a master, it's 12 feet and beyond. On a real sickly person, somebody who might have uh, acute cancer or AIDS, it could be less than seven and it could be contracting gradually, constantly because it, it feeds psychically the physical body. And what does it absorb to feed that body? The, not only the su sun rays, but the chi from the sun. Not only moon rays, but the energy of the moon. Energy that Bhogunathar said, oh, this chi coming from the four basic elements of nature. So we have chi from earth. We have chi from the water. We have chi from fire. And we have chi from air. So that feeds, and this is why us interacting in nature is really has to happen. And so what happens is as the Kundalini kicks in and normally with the Kundalini with most people today, it's about an average of 50 plus years old. And so what's happened, it should have kicked in at puberty between 12 and 18, but it was delayed because of the age we live in. And because we got so imbalanced in our left and right brain. You know, as academia thing took off, it overstimulated the left brain. And unless you're into creative arts, it's almost nothing going on with the right brain. Today, they're trying to take creative arts completely out of the school system, right? Yeah. So unless you're doing yoga and things like Tai Chi or teachings like what you're doing, I literally have taken children to say, hey, just draw, trace the figure eight. Just by tracing the figure eight with a pen on a paper, you can start to stimulate both hemispheres of the brain. This is huge. The same thing that happened to Master David it can happen to the whole human race. As a matter of fact, it would be one of the best things that could happen to the human race. So what happens is, is when you talk to a traditional acupuncture physician, they will go in, they'll check your pulse somewhere between on who you talk to six to 12 different pulses at different levels that hook up to the six to 12 systems of the body. And they'll know by doing this, how strong example, your lung uh, meridian chi is meridian is energy pathway, right? But for the most part, most even acupuncture physicians think the meridians are limited to the body. Aha, that's not so. So it is if your chi is dormant, if it's still asleep, if the real active chi has not gone through this on adolescent growth of itself, it'll stay pretty much dormant in the body. But as your kundalini advances, then what happens is that, you know, I live in Florida, love Florida oranges. But if I peel back the orange, I see this membrane right underneath. Well, guess what? That membrane's not, not by accident, right? We have that membrane also in our energy body. What happens as you advance through this metaphysical birth, if you will, it, the meridians begin to expand into the membrane of the energy body. And now, now you've got meridians all the way out at the outer reach of your energy body, 
all the way deep down inside your physical body. And your physical body is now housed by this incredible energy body. And they're interacting. This is why I tell people, you know, this weekend, the wife and me and my youngest child, we walked in, we were looking at a house in North Florida. And you walk in and, and the first thing everybody's talking about is how the energy feels. They know they're with the llama, right? So let's talk about how the energy is in the house. Well, I can go in this house and based on its structure and who's living there, it will speak to me of one energy. I can turn around, go down the street, walk into another house because of the structure and who lives there feel totally different. So when, when you're in your first class of Tai Chi Gong, we have this exercise called Tai Chi Swim. And it's the fourth Qi Gong. And usually it takes you about 15 to 20 minutes to go through these four exercises. When you get to this point, happens every time, I don't care who you are, you will feel energy in your hands and body like you've never felt in your life. Now, the first time I felt that was 1975 in, in Washington Square in Manhattan. And the Master Lama looked at me and he said, Rasaji, now that you know it's real, we can continue. <laughs> he, he was knowing that that element of doubt was there, right? Now that you know it's real. So let me tell you, that's one thing it tells you. But the other thing it tells you is even more powerful. Oh, my gosh. As human beings, we have the ability to feel beyond our physicalness. Aha. We have the ability to interact beyond. Remember, the word meta just means more than. So mm. metaphysically means more than physical. So I can feel when that changes everything, Bruce, when a human being does that, I don't care whether they're scientific. I don't care whether they're religious. You know, we're all spiritual beings. They know. And especially, you know, a lot of guys, they doubt a lot of things about the spiritual. In other words, if I can't measure it in a test tube or I can't understand it on a book, it probably don't exist with most guys, right? But let me tell you, when a guy starts feeling stuff he's never felt before, I have seen more men open up their consciousness that their wives and significant others would never think that would happen, Bruce. And all of a sudden, because they felt energy, because it humbled them so much that there was something else to learn. It just put them in a state of, okay, guess what? Now I'm going to calm down my masculine ego and I'm going to say, okay, I'm now teachable. I'm a teach me, right? Right, right. This is fascinating. Mindful Tribe, you can learn more at Rizaji.com, R-A-S-A-J-I, and you can download his first book there. It's called The Circle of Life. So Master Rizaji, I just wanted to also ask you five quick answer questions. So 45 second, sure. 30, 45 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person that has been a very, very powerful influence in your life in this whole area of mindfulness? Uh, well, I would have to say the Lama Master Bo Yang 
would probably be the the most significant from childhood having dreams of him and seeing him in meditation even several years before i actually met him in the physical uh he was just always been there for me he's still there today and uh he's uh he's actually the head lama of our lama sir today so i was very humbled to the fact that he was one of the 12 master lamas that had the position that I have today when he was mentoring me. So that was a big blessing. So there's no question Bo Yang would be that person. Uh, Master Rizaji, tell us how mindfulness has affected your emotions, how you are feeling your emotions differently maybe than, than you did a long time ago. Well, I think in the early stages, people think they are their emotions. And every time something kind of tips us one way or the other, we are in that kind of reactionary kind of consciousness. You know, I look at it like in an emotional pinball on a pinball machine from years ago. Uh, after several decades of meditating and doing the Tai Chi Gung art, you realize that emotions are, they're like the wind. They flow through you and out of you. And sometimes they stem from things you are doing. And sometimes they stem from other people's that you're actually picking up on. One of the most profound things I think that you er, you learn in the early training of Tai Chi Gong is that a human being has the ability to feel beyond their physicalness. So that being said, emotions vibrate frequencies that are akin to the physical body, but they also vibrate outside the physical body, as does the mind. And uh, so as you begin to focus and become more grounded, I think, energetically and spiritually, you kind of smile when emotions come. I think that's one of the reasons people say llamas kind of smile like Cheshire cats. And I said, well, you know, because they're not intimidated by their feelings. They're not scared to feel. And as a matter of fact, we know that in order to connect with the energy, you have to be a feeling being. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. Uh, tell us how breathing affects your life. Tell us a little bit about how breathing can help our listeners. Well, they're going to love this because when I was very, very ill, Bruce, uh, I learned the two most basic things that are in chapter two and three of my first book, Circle of Life. And your audience can always go to Rasaji.com and they can do what we call the 45 day challenge for free and praying with prayer beads and learning to breathe basic energy is at the base of everything that we do. Of course, that was handed down from the ancient city yoga teachings. And what we learn is that everybody knows when they're born of the water and we get the physical and biblical core cut. We actually have what's referred to as a psychic umbilical cord that's about an inch to two inch higher than our physical one. And many talks in scriptures about breathing in that area. And the moment that energy begins to 
feed the vortex of the chakras and they stimulate the spokes that come out of the chakras called the nadas, which are Sanskrit for spokes, um, everything changes. When we hit puberty, we're normally the nadas, which we have about 72,000 nadas, are turned halfway in and halfway out. So they're about half and half. What puts us into this metaphysical second birth, as we say, or the awakening of the kundalini, if you will, is the pranayama of learning to breathe energy instead of just oxygen. It changes everything because you start to cleanse your auritic field, your energy body around the physical body, which then easier feeds the physical body on a psychic level. And a lot of aches and pains begin to kind of subside. And you, you notice that flexibility starts to come into the body. And, and, uh, and like you said before, we learn to be a little bit more detached from our emotions because we kind of realize that I can feel all these emotions or I can choose, it's a choice, to feel chi, to feel the intrinsic energy. And uh, when you start choosing that, well, that'll put a smile on your face all day long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us a book that you would recommend to our listeners to read if they're, they're struggling and they're wanting to feel grounded, wanting to feel better in their lives. Well, that's kind of hard one book. But if, I, if you don't mind, I'll recommend three books. And the reason why is, is people come from different. And it's recommended in my first chapter of my book where I'm explaining what the intrinsic energy is. So definitely James Redfield's Celestine Prophecy kind of gives people an overview of what's happening in the world and what I recall is a kind of a spiritual revolution that's happening in our culture. Second would be the autobiography of, of yoga by Parisha Yogananda, who actually brought yoga to America in the 1920s. And then his teacher, Shri Yukteswa, the holy science, that actually is a must read for a person if their base is Judean Christian to see a, a comparison of an Eastern religion that totally synchronizes that came into being thousands of years before Christianity that even shared the concept of the Trinity in the Eastern faith. And he just, he does an excellent job of twofold is marrying both of those, which would strengthen their face. But also, I think in our Western culture, we have the tendency to be kind of shy to the Eastern philosophy and Eastern beliefs. This would strengthen that, and they would not feel threatened. But one of the other things he does in the holy science that I like, he really explains the age or the yuga, which is Sanskrit for age, that we're living in today. And when you really look at that, and he talks about us being in the age of energy, movement, and communication, then if they read those three books, they'll have a solid foundation on what energy really is and how masters have been using this energy for, for centuries, literally. 
And thank you for that, for sharing those books. And we'll put those in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So Mindful Tribe, yeah, you can can go there and check out what the books are and more about this episode. Are there any apps that you would recommend, Master Rasaji, that could help our listeners? Yeah, Rasaji Circle of Life, for sure. And for them to understand that we have it set up now that they can download the whole first book and then learn our basic warm up with the four standing Qigong exercises. And I suggest that they spend 20 to 30 minutes a day with a few pages of the book doing the four or five exercises. And at the same time, Bruce, say no to the negative input of the world during this time. In other words, there's so many people today that are caught up with the news cycles, whether it's internet or TV news. If they can say for 45 days, I'm going to control some of this negative input. At the same time, I'm going to use 20 to 30 minutes a day to embrace the basics of this Tai Chi Gong system that's over 3,000 years old, they will, the testimonies also, Bruce, that they will read on the side, I think it, it's going to be an eye-opener to a lot of people, and they can totally do this for free. Great. And uh, that app sounds amazing. And of course, Mindful Tribe, go to rasaji.com. And Master Rasaji, let's uh, give a shout out one more time about your book to Mindful Tribe. Okay. Yeah, The Circle of Life is, um, it's, it's what is the relationship between the mind and energy as you said earlier, the breathing and energy, are there different ways to move that more enhance the energy? And how does working with nutrition on three different levels enhance the intrinsic energy we call the chi, C-H-I? And the second half of my book says, okay, how do we interact with this energy in the world? So, you know, everybody makes a living somehow. And do you see money as energy in exchange for goods and services? But also, is your money, um, you know, exponentially making money so that you can spend time on going to retreat, spend time uh, working on your self-improvement? And then the last two chapters is what is your energy relationship to your family and other human beings because is it vital because in a lot of cases we see that it's not last chapter is very profound and it is what is our energy relation to nature itself and 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 in this book i talk about being on the mountain for 45 days not having the experience of influence of any other human being and what it's like on the 46th day when the Master Lama comes to get me and what I go through and how pure my spirit and my mind seems at that time because I spent at least five or six hours a day. Either I was doing yoga, meditation, or Tai Chi Gong. 
And then the rest of the time I was reading really positive mature. So I, I had, this was how the 45 day actually came into challenge. I, I had the idea that if I did this gently to people for a few minutes, then maybe they would see the impact that it had in my life for 45 days. And uh, it, it, it was, it was huge. It was no less impactful than having the out-of-body experience in surgery at 12 in 1968. They were both equally impactful. Mindful Tribe, I highly recommend you get yourself a copy of this book, The Circle of Life. Master Rasaji, thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode today. I appreciate and it. I Love to be here, Bruce. Look forward to seeing you again Absolutely. Soon. Bye now. I hope you're doing well. I hope you are moving forward in your life, feeling good about how things are, are advancing. And as always, if you are having challenges, if you are experiencing anxiety, stress, if there's a habit that is just pulling you down and you just wish you could eliminate that habit from your life, if you just have a feeling that we should connect and talk, you can do that. Come for a free conversation, a free session. We'll do a session on Zoom. Email me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com, and we'll have a conversation. And I would love to just hear what's up with you and what's going on in your life. And we'll, we'll just have a very easy, very flowing conversation. And maybe it will be meaningful for you. Maybe it will be the beginning of a turn in your life. If you're listening right now and you're thinking, yeah, maybe that's right for me. Well, this is meant to be. That's the way I look at things. So take what we've learned today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.